Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee podcast, episode 34, John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. The Undead Wookiee is a fortnightly-ish podcast focusing on horror and sci-fi, but there will be times where we dip into other genres because here at the Undead Wookiee, our nerdiness knows no bounds. Hello and welcome back. A very, very, very special episode uh, this evening uh, or this morning or whenever you're listening. I'm, uh, of course, your host, Hugh Lloyd. Now, before I introduce my fantastic co-host for this episode, let's check out the trailer. Halloween night. A small American town. Fifteen years ago. Michael? I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I think he'll come back. Exploring uncharted territory. Totally charted. Oh, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. The only reason she babies it is to have a Halloween. <laughs> okay, come on out. Ladies and gentlemen, and I am joined by the mighty Mr. Jay Prowse. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you very much. Yes, uh, long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> and I mean, we're and again, in no way have we had any kind of conversation before recording. We're just, you know, we're just going straight into it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, first time. On a podcast, and you've you wild man, you've chosen this one to come on to. So thank you very much for being on you. I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely, my pleasure. Just um, be gentle. <laughs> so let's you know, 
let's introduce you a little bit to our audience. Where can the good people find you? Where can they find you lurking in the depths of social media? Um, I would say the best place to find me is on Twitter, um, where I'm usually embroiled in really, really long-winded conversations, most <laughs> actually latterly about slasher movies. Yes. And last night we went off on a Bond tangent. Um, but <laughs> it, it, it's, it, people tend to kind of dip out in and out of these 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 long-winded conversations. It's great, actually. Yeah. I've got a ton of ton of new followers off of the back of it. Um, which is fantastic, but it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not about promoting myself so much. It's just, I'm on there just to chat to with like-minded people. It's fantastic. I love it. So tonight we are talking that classic of horror. The, and of course we are talking Halloween six. <laughs> <laughs> no, I jest, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking Halloween. John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978, the original, the seminal piece. Now, I oddly enough, and I, we, we sort of mentioned sort of the sequel. Um, I saw this when I was younger. I saw the sequel before seeing the first one. And I was probably far too young to watch at the time. I think it was one of the very first VHS tapes um, that my father brought home. Because um, he used to work for, I don't know if whether you remember, Radio Rentals? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my father used to work for Radio Rentals. And occasionally he'd bring home a, um, a, a VHS player. And one of the tapes that he actually brought home the one day was Halloween 2. And, you know, obviously not seeing the first one and being way too young... My first exposure to this one was the sequel, and then obviously going backwards and watching it. And uh, obviously, it's just, a, you know, I'm going to be unapologetically abashed on this one. I absolutely love this film. It is it, such a great film. It, I mean, seminal is the right word. Um, it, so when I was doing some my, my notes on this originally, I, I put the Blu-ray on, and I thought, I'll just yeah. go and get, grab a drink. So I put the Blu-ray on and the, the kind of home splash screen comes on. I walk into the kitchen and we live on the back of some woods. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I'm getting a drink, never bothered me before. And the music came on and I was like, wow, this still really affects me. It's, it's like I wasn't prepared. As soon as the music came on, looking out into the darkness was just, I wasn't ready for that. Without the music, no problem at all. I've watched a ton of different horror films. This theme absolutely yeah. slays me. It it's is, incredible. It's an incredible piece. It's my ringtone, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> and there's been a few occasions where I've been sort of, you know, just sort of walking home at sort of, you know, on a fairly dark night and it's starting. You know, oddly enough, I was leaving a parent's evening uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks, a couple of, I think it was, yeah, a week before last, and my phone started ringing. And I didn't actually, <laughs> it didn't even comprehend that it was my own phone. I thought, shit, I'm, I'm going to bite the dust in my school. <laughs> what, a, what a way to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I mean, honestly, the, the the theme, the hold that it kind of has over you, and you when you, especially when you haven't heard it for a while. I yeah, was, yeah, that was that was pretty terrifying. I have to be honest, I haven't gone in the in the kitchen in the dark since, <laughs> which is a slight lie. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, we are talking. Um, this is directed by the legend that is John Carpenter, produced by Deborah Hill. Uh, by a screenplay by Mr. Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Um, I mean, this, you know, we all know that this stars, you know, uh, a certain Jamie Lee Curtis in one of her, very, well, I think it is her screen debut. I know she did like smaller things yeah. when she was much, much younger. Mm -hmm. um, it stars Jamie Lee Curtis, um, Donald Pleasance. When I was looking at Donald Pleasance, he had 236 acting credits. 
Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, he was in yeah, everything. He, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he was only well. He, he may just have bested Christopher Lee um, because I know he he took a ton of films as well. But yeah, he was in a ton of stuff. And towards the end of his life, I think he he, he just took a bunch of roles, didn't he? And a lot yeah. of weird and wonderful films. Um, and I think. W- w- I may be wrong, but his last film may have been Halloween 5. I think he died yeah. perhaps during production or just after. Six months after. Six yeah. months after, just, yeah, so before, just before he, d- he passed away, sadly. Um, yeah. And, of course, this stars, you know, Nick Castle as Michael Myers, or should yep. we refer to him as The Shape? The Shape, uh, The Shape, yeah. which I think works so much more. Yeah. Can, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to it. But, of course... The character of Michael Myers, or the shape, you know, was played by numerous different people in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dev, Tony you know, Moran, I think, as well. Yeah, Tony Moran, um, Will Sandon uh, yep. as the young Michael. Also, Deborah Hill played um, Michael Myers in one scene. Which scene is that? Well, the, the, do you know, it's the famous shot from across the street Ooh. where he's, you know, where the shape is silhouetted. Silhouetted against the house, yeah. Against the house. That's actually Deborah Hill. I did not know that. Because Deborah Hill was also, as well as producing and screenwriting, and I think she made the sandwiches and <laughs> brought everybody tea and cake. Um, she was also second unit um, director. And they worked out in order to shoot, because obviously the shooting scale on this film was just, I think it's, you know, 21 days? Yep, yep. So 21, right, yep. 21 day shoot for this. Um, so, oh, and Lee Wallace as well um, also played the shape in a couple of scenes um, because they worked out that if they had her as the shape when on just to do the second unit stuff, they could shoot much much quicker. Yeah, makes and sense. And using yeah. Lee Wallace because he built the set as well as editing it uh, and sort of you know the different pieces of it, he knew exactly where to hit things so that they would break first time, so they would cut down on um, the scene, you know, cut down on certain things. So. Yeah, you know they use them, but the, that that famous shot, that iconic shot from across that road, is is Deborah Hill. I did not know that. I do remember though, yeah, because you you look at the shot across the road and you've got the the house is kind of slightly blue. It has that kind of Argento esque yes. thing going on, and you can yeah yeah, it's a fantastic shot actually. I mean it's it's a movie full of amazing pieces of cinematography, but yeah, it's really really basic story. Yeah, well it is. Yeah. You know you know you know like you know you you tweet the other day a, a story of a young man who comes home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, yeah, yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah, and um, I mean, you know, and like you look at the cast, and you look at like the people involved in the cast, and of course, we mentioned Donald Pleasant, and he would go on to do two more films with Carpenter. Um, you've got P.J. Souls, you've got Nancy Keys, you've got Charles Cypress, Kyle Richards, Brian Andrews, J- John Michael Graham, Nancy Stevens. Um, you know, it's got an incredible cast, absolutely incredible cast. Yeah. Of, Sorry, go on. Carol. Don't go on, Neil. Go on. Go on oh, no, no. I was just going to say, there's a there's a really nice psycho link as well, because obviously Jamie Lee Curtis and Janet Lee, that's the obvious one. Yes, yes. But um, Dr. Loomis um, yeah. and Sam Loomis. Yes. The boyfriend in Psycho. Then you've got um, Marion Crane from Psycho um, and Nurse Marion Chambers and yeah. Sheriff Chambers. Um, yeah. And then Tommy Doyle is the same name as the detective in Rear Window, so slightly different, but then a Hitchcock yeah, yeah, link yeah, well. there's, yeah. there's a ton of name links there. Well, um, Sheriff Brackett um, is, the, is, a, is named after a screenwriter, isn't he? 
Yeah, 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 yeah. He's a screenwriter, the guy, and it's um, Lee Brackett, the guy who wrote That's right. uh, um, Empire Strikes Back and yes. Rio Bravo. Yep, yep, yep. You know, so, and that's the thing when you, with Carpenter's, particularly his earlier films, um, because I think it's fair to say, and I am, and, you know, I love John Carpenter. I think, you know, the thing is, um, you know, I think, you know, the thing is an incredible piece of filmmaking. Big Trouble in Little China is just out. It's just mind-blowingly, brilliantly silly. That was um, the first John Carpenter film I ever saw, actually. Yeah, it's incredible. It's just a brilliant film. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant film. Um, even some of his other stuff, you know, some of it is supposedly lesser work. I mean, you look at Christine, which doesn't get yep. the love that it should. It's a brilliant no. film. Yeah, I watched that recently, actually, because I, I hadn't... I think I... That's the weird thing, because I hadn't seen that since I was really young. That was one of those Halloween 2 moments for you, was Christine yeah. for me. Yeah, um, Actually, no, that would have then been, sorry, I've got that wrong. That would have been the first film I saw. That's probably not the right way to do it. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd seen Christine, first of all. And I went back to it recently, having not seen it for years. And yeah. it does stand up. I mean, yeah. it's dated, granted, but it does stand up. You know, it's, and it, you know, it's a great film. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of Starman. Um, however, it's you know it's still a very 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 well made film, yeah. And I suppose as he got older, I mean you know some of his stuff does drop off a little bit. Um, True. True. I think um, Ghosts of Mars maybe yeah. a point with things. The obvious one, yeah, um, yeah. But again, it has moments. <laughs> you know, and that's being really kind. Um, <laughs> Jason, you know, I don't know what the fuck Jason Statham is doing in terms of his accent. Because oh, it's just yeah. it's yeah. all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I've not revisited that. Um, and we've been talking online recently about giving films another chance, but there's certain films I'm not really sure of. No, I mean, I, I'm not I, up for that. I mean, I saw um, Ghosts of Mars. Um, I was on holiday in the states when it came out. Yeah, um, I remember getting being really excited and seeing it, and then just sort of almost weeping unapologetically at how bad it was and just thinking, oh, my God, what have you done? Um, yeah. You know, and even, and the, but seeing that, mind you, have you seen The Ward? I haven't. No, that's a, a more recent one, yeah, but I, I, I haven't. I I just think after Ghost of Mars, and I wasn't even a fan of vampires, and I did watch that again recently, and I was, it's just, I, I don't know, the flourishes have gone, and that was 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, um, I just, yeah, I don't, I think it happens to all directors. I think they just have a certain amount to say, and yes. then they get to a point, and they're just. Um, Dario Argento is a perfect example of that. Yeah. They get to a certain point, and they just they don't have anything more to say, and then it's just kind of just keeping moving, essentially, just breathing. You know. Yeah. And it, well, yeah, and I mean, you know, you know, God bless, uh, God bless his soul, but George Romero, his there you go. Yeah. his later yeah. output. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that was, you know, Diary of the Dead is just yeah, it's horrendous. It's yeah. horrendous. And then the, yeah. the, what's the one after the one with the with the zombie survival of the dead? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's ooh, 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 George. Yeah. yeah. Oh. I mean, I I went to the cinema and saw Land of the Dead because that was like his big return to zombies. Yes. Yeah. And it was it was okay. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't a great film. No. No. Not compared to the original trilogy. No. 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 And I think you know, but. And I, and I think sort of obviously Carpenter's sort of later output really sort of um, it, it in some ways it it doesn't diminish his his work in any way but it, no. you do think enough's enough mm. Um, mm. 
and I mean, we'll, we'll touch on the, you know, the, the, the reboot a little bit later on. And I'm yeah. very, very glad that he's just in a producing capacity. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and doing the, and, and, you know, doing the, doing the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really pleased things. about that part. I must must say, yeah. The soundtrack, the soundtrack. That's that's of interest to me because he's he's still recording and still playing live and all of that stuff. So he's probably still got the chops. Yeah, when he played um, Bristol quite recently, mm. um, he played in um, Colston Hall. Did you go? Um, no, I found out about it sort of on the last sort of you know at the last breath. But I really love the Lost Themes albums. I think they're yeah. really really great. Cause yeah, I, I, I yeah. like Electronica. I do like a little bit of electronica, um, but that sort of synthy driven stuff, I really enjoy that. And, you know, he's, his music absolutely typifies that. Yeah, and he's, it just has, seems to have kind of, it, it kind of cornered the market for a while with that kind of unnerving, unnerving uh, minor key stuff. He's just, yeah, because I, I, I was listening to you talking about the fog and the fog theme yeah and I was yeah. Like, yeah i totally get i totally get where you're going with that yeah um, and i mean you know when we talk we, you know we mentioned briefly now the actual you know the, the famous score to this and you know the the, the he, you know it's a perfect example of a film how the score drives the film and you yes. know, you've got that yeah. sort of he he sh- you know, the, the, one of the stories that comes out to this is that he screened this. He did an early cut of this film, and he screened it for an executive at 20th Century Fox, and they didn't like it. They just didn't get it, and they didn't mm. find it scary. But what it didn't have was any of the music. No, it, and and the music plays in different kind of guises all the way through the film. Yeah, it, yeah. There's there's not a lot of silence, even if it's like that kind of didum yeah. dum them stuff all the way through the film so it does absolutely yeah completely drives it yeah um yeah. but there's some i mean in terms of how the film came about something i wanted to talk about actually was this there's a couple of kind of a, apocryphal stories about how about the origins of halloween yeah so uh, way well, before so um pray tell pray tell erwin erwin yablans for example who, yes obviously he was the producer and he distributed a sort on precinct 13 so on and so forth he's always maintain that the idea for the story was his and he um and I, and I do remember reading about it was originally called the babysitter murders and he had yes. this idea about yeah. babysitters in peril so he's always maintained the idea that it was his but there's also this link to bob clark who did black christmas that i read about recently i thought yeah. it was fascinating um so uh, apparently john carpenter asked him whether he planned a sequel um and he said no 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 i'm, I'm not done with that i don't want to do a sequel and he was like well, okay Fair enough. You don't want to do a sequel. But if you did, what would it be about? And he said, I'd have the killer from the original from Black Christmas. He's caught. And the next year he escapes and he revisits the sorority house from the first film. And it's set in the autumn and he was going to call it Halloween. Yeah. Uh, and apparently, and, and it's kind of a bit of a sore point. Well, it was a bit of a sore point, sorry, with, with Bob Clark for years after because obviously John Carpenter went away. Halloween became the thing it became. Yes. Um, and he, yeah, he wasn't best pleased about I it. I can imagine why, why that might sort of be, yeah. a, that may just uh, irk him a little. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, this film was made for, um, you know, 300, famously for $300,000, which yep. is absolutely nothing. And it nothing. went on to take 70 million at the box office. Now that's 70 million yep. in 1970s money. I know. It's which incredible. I think, Given inflation for today and everything else, 
um, it probably works at around about a hundred and fifty million dollar return. Yikes! Yikes! That's that, mean, the, that's a huge amount of coin. Yeah, the stories that it was the the biggest grossing independent film until um, what's the film the the witch one Blair Witch Blair, Blair Witch, Witch. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not Blair Witch the uh, the the sequel. But, oh, um, Book of Shadows. Yeah, no. See, I I the reviews I, and I'm not a big person with reviews the reviews were enough for me for that i was like no i don't want to i don't want to sully it so i've never watched i saw i've heard it's dreadful (laughs) i saw it in the cinema i saw it in in swansea in the uci in swansea it's now the odeon and i remember sitting there thinking if i hadn't have paid for this i would be walking out right now (laughs) it's just never ending yeah i i don't know there are certain films you kind of there's something about them you're like, I know this is going to be bad, but I'm going to watch it anyway. But there's, I don't know. I mean, the original was just just right, and it just it doesn't. Nothing else needs doing. I know they're they're looking at doing a series and all of that now, yeah, and might yeah. be interesting. But mm, no, that's fine. It's, it's a standalone film. That's all yeah. that needs to be. Especially because of the whole found footage thing, and it kind of kicked off that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. no not, not for me. Now you were talking about. Um, oh God. Uh, Erwin um, Yablitz, the, yep. the the other, of course, big driving force in this was Mustafa Akkad, yep. um, who was a character in himself, um, yes. and sort of drove the series on and on and on. And Ad nauseum. Yes, <laughs> yeah. he just didn't, you know, and he, he just couldn't let it go. And even down to, um, and I'll, I will bring it up, <laughs> H2O, um, where he even had it written into the contract that Michael cannot be killed on screen. Okay. He had it written in there that he could not be killed on screen. Now, obviously, there's a scene that sort of where he gets kind of his head lopped off with an axe. Yeah, yeah. That's I was going to touch on that. Just <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it, well, in a roundabout way, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but. Oh no no! We can do spoilers on this because you know, you know, as we say on pretty much every episode, we are going to you know we will cover you know we cover you know this film was released in 1978. Quite right. And yeah. if you're listening to a podcast about a film that was released in 1978, press pause and go and listen to go watch it now <laughs> and then come back to us because otherwise, why are you listening to us? So I'm not saying not listen to us, but you know. It's your own fucking fault if it gets ruined for you. So um, you know, just just go and watch the film first because it's it's you know we are talking about a classic of not only horror cinema but cinema itself. Yep. Because this film did change the face of cinema. Yep. It's, and it's in the Library of Congress in the US. So that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it is incredible. It's, it, it's like Night of the Living Dead. It's in the Louvre. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, amazing, isn't it? That is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. That you know that, that these two films. One is you know in the Library of Congress and has been, you know, deemed to be saved, um, which is mad when you think you know it's 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 essentially you know, John Carpenter you know is thirty years of age making these you know is, um, a small budget, independent film that you know nobody thought would do anything, um, including Carpenter because when he thought because initially it didn't because. The way in which the studios or independent film or films themselves, the driving market that this was made for, uh, there wasn't massive releases. There were a couple of prints that went to different towns, and then it would take like months to get all around the country. 
and some of the reviews originally weren't great for this, and it wasn't until sort of uh, Roger Ebert, and who bizarrely um, was never a massive fan of horror, but he championed this film. He did, yeah. He hated the slasher film, but I think he said, "If I, if I, I might, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but artistry can redeem any subject matter." Yes, um, and and he did. He he was very yeah. He did champion this film, but then you know that that quote. He, he hated the Usual Suspects, so you know what does he know? Exactly, <laughs> fool, fool. <laughs> now, the, I mean, the, the the making of this film itself is absolutely fascinating. It's mm. you know it, it's an, it's an amazing exercise in independent filmmaking and how left to the you know how, when creative people are left to to produce their work uh, with with minimal interference or no interference, they are able to create true masterpieces. And Mustafa Akkad and Irving Yablitz, um, they they allow Carpenter to do this, and it's um, it is absolutely incredible. Um, they were shot in you know in twenty days, and they you know they were able to get somebody like Donald Pleasance in. But did you know we we were aware of who they first approached before Donald Pleasance? Yes, Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. I'm led to believe. Yeah, um, both turned their role down. Do you know? I, I was thinking about that. I was like, yeah, okay, I can see them both in that role. Yeah, At the same time, yeah. I can't now. It's so uh, Donald Pleasance's role that, I, and I love Peter Cushing. Yes, um, and Christopher Lee, but I just can't see them playing that role in the way he did no I just no yeah. no and i think don't see them in the raincoat at all no no and, and christopher lee is too big yeah he'd yeah, actually yeah. be bigger than 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 michael myers yeah yeah i think yeah he'd be too imposing too, far too imposing yeah yeah be, yeah it would be appalling yeah he, that, that's right actually and donald pleasance i don't think it's a particularly big but I, I can see i can see peter cushion playing it but yeah christopher lee no but i just no no no, Donald Pleasance for me, all the way. Yeah, and I mean, I, there is something about Peter Cushing. I love Peter Cushing I, because I think he's one man who knows how to get slapped on screen. <laughs> he can yeah. really take a good punch. And he can play good and bad. Really yes, well. yes. But, um, yeah, go on, no, yeah. Pray, no, 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 go, go ahead. Um, you know, Donald, you know, but the line delivery by Donald Pleasance in this is just... So good, yeah. It yeah. is and, just and, so good. And he had some tricky lines to play with, to be honest. Because I know Deborah Hill wrote the uh, most of the dialogue between the girls, so it's really yes. authentic. Yeah. Um, he wrote the kind of adult, more grandiose dialogue. So he's got that. He's gone from here, and death yeah. is coming to your town, and all That's of that. Really a, That's a really good impression. That's a really good one. <laughs> um, and there's a lovely kind of dichotomy between the two. Yes, and, you know, and, and they work brilliantly together, but. They're tricky lines to really pull off, but he pulls them off perfectly. Yeah, I mean, when you look at that, you know, that that little bit of a speech where he says, "I met the six-year-old child with the blank, pale, yeah. emotionless yeah. face," and he says, "The blackest eyes," yeah. and there's a poor, there's that beat, and then he says, "The devil's eyes," and yeah. it's just, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it could quite easily fall. And he's got that kind of thousand-yard stare. Yeah, he's doing yeah, it. he's yeah. like remembering. He's looking at he's, uh, the, he's talking to sheriff Brackett in the house yeah when they find the, the um yeah um and, and he's just yeah you can yeah that's right yeah so he's what does he say he, he finds the dog he finds that he uh, was hungry yeah and he's like 
that that was no man or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's a really comical line. He pulls that up brilliantly, and he does the same thing with the, the where the kids come to the house and he's in the bushes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's those those just slightly lighten the oats because you've got all that tension building up, and it just yeah. He well, yeah. I, I can't. I'm. I like I say. I love Peter Cushing, but I can't see anyone else buying it. But no, no. And I mean, when you talk about a film that builds tension. Um, I think if if any young filmmaker out there wants to learn how to how to how a film should build tension, um, I think this, um, The Exorcist, um, Poltergeist, these are brilliant examples in how you build tension. Yeah, because yeah. it just builds and builds and builds because actually. You know, people sort of think Halloween and they think, what my, you know, obviously, immediately, you know, you, you think the mask, you think you hear the score and you think bloodbath. But actually, there's not an awful lot of violence. There's violence, you know, don't get me wrong, it is, it is a violent film. But in comparison to what came after, there's not an awful lot and you don't see an awful no, lot of blood. I think the only blood is the, the sister's murder at the beginning. I don't remember even with Bob where he um, he lifts him up and stabs him. Yes, him against, puts him against the wall. You don't see any blood. Then you see the knife sticking out. There's no blood. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's brilliant at that because you. It's almost like you misremember what you've seen because you imagine it to be far more violent in that way, like viscerally violent than it really is. Yeah, um, and that's kind of one of the the great tricks of it. It, it shows that it's. If you look at it from a kind of uh, reading of film way, it's really it's such a simple film. It's a simple premise. Um, you know, uh, it, I just I, I find it hard to put into words just how perfect it is. But I think I, I guess if you and one of the things I find really interesting about it is that there aren't really any parental figures in it. So I guess you could kind of look at it as being like a rumination on the inherent dangers of absentee parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. As opposed to, uh, and I'm not being funny. They are the worst babysitters oh, in all... the world. Yeah, that they are. Yeah, <laughs> they are horrendous. And it's you know <laughs> Annie's character. She spills you know she spills popcorn on herself or like some kind of oil on her shirt. Did she need to take her trousers off as well? No, not at all. And I... did she need to leave that door open? Yeah, if she walks back into the. <laughs> it's just. Yeah, just, and like the kid, the, you know, the, the little girl, she, mm. she just sat there. I just, know. The phone is ringing next. It's like, pick it up. Pick it oh, up. Yeah. The bit and, and where she walks back into the living room, the bit that always gets me is even the TV saying, lock your door. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And you're like, the signs are there. The signs are there. Well, I mean, um, even, you know, and that's the other thing as well with this. Uh, one of the themes in this film, which I've, it only dawned on me, you know, I mean, obviously I've, I must have seen this film 20, 30 times over the years. Um, and it sort of, it only dawned on me yesterday, actually, um, was the foreshadowing that Ooh. goes on in the film. You know, like you're saying about lock your doors, you know, all that business is is, is being shouted out. And even in the classroom, where Laurie oh, sort of yeah. kind of spots, she thinks, you know, you, you know, is he what? Is somebody looking at? It? Is somebody watching? And the teacher is talking about fate. That's right. I've, and, yeah, I've got that. I've actually got that quote here. I'll, um, I'll, 
I'll read it. So the teacher says, fate caught up with several lives here. No matter what course of action Collins took, he was destined to his own fate. And Laurie's looking out the window at the car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, you're like, oh, man, come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the line is, you know, and she says that fate never changes. That's right, yeah. And then the bullies um, with the boy outside, yeah. with Tommy outside, saying the boogeyman is coming, he's coming for you. Or, yeah. You know, it, it, it's all there. And then one of the bullies kind of rounds the corner and he grabs him and yeah. lets him go. It's just, yeah. Yeah, and there's the... Um, there's also the bit with um, where Michael Myers is standing between the, the kind of clean white linen. Yes. And it's got that kind of, there's that innocence of, you know, that Americana thing about, you know, occupying yeah. white picket fences and that pure vision of America. And you've got this foreboding figure standing between these kind of virginial white um, blankets fraying and he's kind of like smash bang in the middle of it. Like, yeah. Just out to and destroy again, that is, an, it, that, that's a, that is a wonderfully, wonderfully shot scene. Yeah, you yeah. Know, because again, it is a very, very simple mo. It's a very yeah. simple moment in it. Yeah. It is a really, and, and but there's there's so much going on in that. Yeah, there's no camera trickery. It's just there. Camera goes away. Camera goes back. He's gone. That's it. And you're just like, whoa, what's going on there? And it's just that contrast of him in the dark against the white. Yeah. It's just it, yeah. It's it's there are so many moments that are just perfect but they're they're so simply captured yeah there's no amazing camera trickery it's not like in the just not meaning to go back to argento again where he does a lot of that kind of camera trickery um like the, the, the thing in tenebrae where the yeah. um the camera kind of looms all over the house for yeah. no apparent reason um it's, like it's brilliant shot but it doesn't yeah. really. <laughs> no no but i mean and even in that in laurie's bedroom um and I, it was only through doing my notes, and this is not being observant in any way, shape, or form, really, <laughs> is that there's a poster on the wall uh, by um, James Eisner, who was um, a Belgian expressionist painter, and he used to portray um, people wearing absolutely hideous masks. Oh, and, and that's the yeah. poster on the wall. Um, and... I sort of I thought, oh, I look at that, and some of his stuff is is genuinely terrifying, is genuinely quite freaky, um, but there's there's so many little bits here and there. I, I mean, you know, even the films that are being shown in the background. Yeah, yeah. So you've got um, uh, there's two films on it. There's um, the thing from another world. Yeah. And Forbidden Planet. Yes. Forbidden Planet has that kind of theme of threat. Yes. Running through it. And obviously the thing as well, the thing from another uh, world, sorry, as it's called. Um, there's the same thing there as well. I love those, those, those little, I mean, they're not, once again, that's not camera trickery. It's just, just yeah. nice little flourishes just, just popped in there. Um, and there's, there's also um, a lot of stuff with Laurie where she's by herself. So where she's sitting outside waiting for Annie to pick her up and you can see, and she's looking across the road yeah. and she's watching yeah. the kids trick or treating. And she's kind of, at this crossroads essentially between that kind of innocence and the experience of what's to come. Yes. Uh, yeah. Very William Blake, but um, it's just, yeah, I just, I find all of that kind of stuff fascinating because you can watch it and completely, it may bypass you completely and that's absolutely fine. It won't make any difference to your enjoyment of the film, but no, when you do no. pick up on them, that's when you start to think, wow, this film is definitely yeah. more than the sum of its parts. Even though um, if you go and speak to, 
not that I'll go and speak to John Carpenter. It's not like I call him, but you know, where, where you see interviews with him and they're like, Oh, what's the motivation? He's like, beats me. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do love how grumpy John Carpenter is. <laughs> yeah. I love how grumpy he is. And he's constantly smoking. Yeah. Constantly and, smoking. And he's starting to look his age a bit now as well. Yeah. Like, you need yeah. to start looking after yourself, Mr. Carpenter. Yeah. Well, you know, and like, it's, you know, somebody, you know, Romero's gone. Toby Hooper's gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, John. It's true, actually. Yeah. Put the fags <laughs> down, please. <laughs> you know, quite like having you about. But I, you know, when we talk about sort of like Carpenter being sort of you know saying about um, uh, the themes in this film, you know, and people talk about the sort of the, the morality of it all, and he's just like, well, no, it's just a film. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's just it's you know you know it's just I just wanted to make a horror film, and this is what it was, and. You're just, you know, you're reading whatever you want to read onto. You're projecting whatever, yeah, whatever you yeah. want to. Yeah, there's a, there's a really nice quote actually where he says, perhaps all the sequences in Halloween are familiar to the audience. They've seen them before in horror movies. They're simply being reinstated, kind of classic horror setups work rework slightly. That's it. That's all he wants to say. And I like, I mean. When you watch the film, and obviously there's the end, and people talk about it and intellectualize and what does it mean, so on and so. I like the ambiguity. Yes. It's only where you have sequels that that you need like this this kind of backstory and motivation to kind of sustain the narrative. And we all know what happens to Halloween as it goes on and on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Are you trying to say that it suffers somewhat from diminishing returns? Not a yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, unfortunately, I w- I, they all do. Come yes. On. Yeah. Let's be and I will say this: <laughs> um, I think Halloween Three: Season of the Witch is a brilliant piece yep. of film on its own. It is a great, yep. great, great film. Yep. Um, and even though I covered it on the, what the Wookiee watched, um, sort of very, very briefly, um, at some point I'm going to definitely have to come back around and do a full feature review on it because I think it's something that deserves more than more than is given the credit that it, you yeah. know it it, it, needs, it should be held in you know in the same esteem as the other films i mean is it perfect no but it has got some absolutely brilliant moments in it yeah i mean look it's not a a halloween film in so much as it's part of the kind of arc if you like it, yes. it's set at halloween it is a halloween film yes um but yeah as a standalone film it's absolutely fine. Um, you know, when we were talking earlier about what a good film Jaws 2 would have been. Had, yes, yes. You know, yes. the director, been the original director, John Hancock, been able to uh, sort of see his vision through. It would have been a completely different film. Um, you know, things yeah. happen. I'm glad I'm glad they took the step with Halloween 3, though, to, to, to try something different. Yes, yes. Yeah, at the time it was hated, but... Um, you know, people are revisionists, so we're always going to go back and go, actually. Oh, completely, completely. Uh, but, but it, so. in terms of the sequels, mm. I do have a real soft spot for part four. It's slow. Yes. Um, it's, it's definitely slower, I'd say. Uh, <sighs> I, yeah, I, do you know what? I, I, yeah, part four and part five, I can do part six. No, I, 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 part but, six is just a mess. Yeah. Yeah, one, once you get to the the cult, um, the cult of Thorn, yes, it, it, it all falls apart. And then you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about that, then I suppose we talk about the Rob Zombie films, which um, I, they have some love somewhere. I utterly hated them. Yeah, I mean, I, I lay my cards on the table. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Rob Zombie fan. I like his music. Yeah. Um, I think House of a Thousand Corpses. 
is brilliant. Um, Devil's Rejects is a great film. Um, but some of his other is some of his stuff now. Yeah, I, I watched Thirty One recently. Oh. Oh man, what are you do? His biggest problem is he he likes this kind of white trashy grimy thing, yes. but he doesn't seem to be able to ever move away from it. So Halloween and Halloween Two have this really horrible kind of grotty white trash, and I, you know it's interesting that he tried to do the backstory thing with Michael Myers. It's yeah. a vaguely interesting watch. It's not a good film. Um, Scout Taylor Compton is it? I think yes, like yeah. she is not in any way a sympathetic character. No, and in fact, no. the second one, even though she's kind of damaged, she's just, you You can't, you don't vouch, not vouch her, that's not the right word, you you, you don't kind of want her to survive and do well. And, no, 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 there's nothing to root for. No, that's what I was looking for, you don't root for her. No, yes. no, not at all. Ooh. And the other thing as well, what makes Michael Myers so terrifying is he is the shape? Yeah. There is, you know, and like, you know when you know when it goes back to you know Loomis's lines where he says that he realised that what was living behind the boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really want him to come from a trailer park, and no. you know have the, t- the terrifying thing is he comes from essentially a middle class class family yeah. where he would have had parents that loved him and looked after him. Yeah. If he comes from kind of like a, a broken home where the mum's a stripper and the stepdad's <laughs> a drunk and, you know, not to say you can't come from a home like that and, you know, go on, you know, that's not what I'm saying at all, but it's set up in that way like, oh, he never had a chance anyway, yeah. so he's always going to turn into and a And because he's so big. Yeah. In that, you know, in the, in the Rob Zombie films, you know, this just this, this muscle-bound hulk. Yeah. yeah. And that's not, that's... Don't get me yeah. wrong. If he came chasing, if I bumped into him in a dark alley, <laughs> you know, I would probably be, you know, doing my roadrunner act. But <laughs> as a, you know, for sustained terror, you know, you cannot beat Nick Castle's performance in this. No, no. And I don't know how tall he was, but let's assume he's like six one, six two. He's not a giant. No, he's not he's a just, massive man. He's a man, and calling him the shape rather than you call him Michael Myers, it kind of humanizes him. Yes, it does. Shape. Is like he's he is the uh, what we'd call the bogeyman, what Americans would call the boogeyman. Yes, and that's absolutely what he is, um, and that's perfect, and that's the way it should be. And then you know you start to go onto the backstory. I uh, don't get me wrong; I do really like Halloween too. I think it's yes, a, I think it's a strong film. Yeah, uh, and it continues the story. And uh, I, Jamie Lee Curtis' character is kind of sidelined in it. I think that's the one. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that's the one thing you know. I don't understand why you would take your main protagonist and then drug her. Yeah. So she's it, not in half the film. Yeah, I don't know whether that was part of her contract. Just like I, I'll be in the film, but can I just lie there for a bit? And yeah, yeah. she was trying to move away, wasn't she, from horror? Because I mean, obviously, yeah. she'd done Halloween, she'd done Prom Night, and Terror Train, Terror yeah. Train, the fog. The fog. Yeah. But again, I, you know, the fog is for me. It's one of my favorite. I kind of go between Halloween one and the fog as you know some of my favorite Carpenter films. I always yeah I always love the fog. I love it because I I'm quite a sucker for a ghost story. Yes. So, um, and it's another film where there's not a massive amount of gore. It's all about the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Adrian Barbeau's voice, which is yeah. Just, I've listened to that for <laughs> yeah, she has got an incredible voice. Yeah. So I'm yeah I, I'm in agreement with you completely there. Yeah, and I mean. 
the other thing we're talking about the sort of the build attention in this mm. the way you know yeah and we seem to mention him a lot on this show but dean cundy dean yeah. cundy the cinematographer on this is his work on this is sublime it is absolutely sublime and you know they sort of you know that opening scene uh, which bizarrely was the last scene shot in the entire film yeah i read that that's interesting it was the last scene, you know, the most technically difficult scene to do. They 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 shot it last. That's right, and it's the it's the um, I don't know if it was steady cam or panaglide. I think that's it. Was, it's panaglide. But, it was the yeah. panaglide. Yeah, I thought um, it was, um, and it was one of the first uses of that. Um, I feel like I'm a Dario Argento fanboy now, but yeah. I know he. I guess I am a bit, but um, he. I know he'd used it. Um, I don't know whether it was on Suspiria or not. It's just um, like an, an early film. version yeah. of it. Yeah, um, but this was the first, I guess. Pro, well, certainly first horror film, American horror film that it was used in. Um, but interestingly, it's um, it's inspired by. Have you ever seen uh, Orson Welles' Touch of Evil? Yes. Um, so the, the, opening the opening scene? scene. Yes. Oh my god, that scene is just. It's yeah. you know that it is. Whether it, you watch the rest of the film or not, you can watch exactly that scene. because to be honest with you, I don't really buy Charlton Heston as a Mexican. No. No. Yeah, the moustache is like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I think in terms of sort of mustachio acting, um, I was quite surprised that that moustache yeah. didn't walk away yeah. with best supporting actor in that year's Oscar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But it's a, I'd, I'd say like anyone who's to your uh, three billion listeners <laughs> to watch, um, just to watch that scene at the beginning of Touch of Evil. Yeah. As like a shot that in, as a shot, sorry, a scene, a sequence that inspired... Halloween, because it's fant- it's a fantastic piece of uh, cinematography. Yeah, it is, uh, it is, and I think you know, um, it's surprising. You know, I, I think you need to sort of be able to go back and watch Touch of Evil and the original Scarface yep, and yep, Rio true, yeah. Bravo and you know even Rio Lobo. I like quite like Rio Lobo um, or any of the Howard Hawks films because once you start. Having that sort of, you know, obviously Howard Hawks is a massive influence. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. On Carpenter, and you can, and when you go back and you look at Howard Hawks and you look at Orson Welles, and you just realise how steeped Carpenter is in those movies and in in cinema history and in and in cinema itself, because you know it's it's there, and that sort of, you know, the. The you know that that opening scene where they're using the panaglide and they you know it's they do cheat a little bit uh, with some of the shots because it's not completely an unbroken shot. Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one to discover, but I have noticed that yeah, there's a few, there's a couple of moments you're like, okay, it's a shame, uh, but I guess you know time but not time budget all of that kind of thing, they couldn't quite make it work. No, but it was it's still. Suspend your disbelief and just watch it. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, also, like, you know, very, very similar to De Palma. Um, yep. You know, lots of, you know, again, he used the steady cam and carry, and, you know, but the idea of seeing things from the killer's perspective um, obviously borrows heavily from the giallo. Yeah. Um, and I love a good giallo. Me I love too. a really, really good, you know, A Blade in the Dark, I think, is brilliant. I think yeah, A Blade in the Dark. I rewatched Torso again the other day. Yeah, so. great, great film. Yeah, great yeah, I'm film. a big Jello fan. Yeah, yeah. Um, agreed. And they're kind of like, in many ways, they're kind of proto slashers themselves. So um, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. I, uh, yeah, yeah, go on, sorry. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, and the other thing as well with the with this is that actually Carpenter shoots a large proportion of this film in widescreen. Mm-hmm. And what it gives is this wonderfully unnerving uh, feel and format so that the audience are always looking at what could be lurking in the background. You're, you're right. There's a ton of space in the shots um and there's yeah you're 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 kind of almost looking from one side to the other because you can't take it all in just by staring straight at it so you're looking around the entire frame which makes it all the sadder that we've only really got the widescreen version in the last 10 15 years yes because it was the pan and scan versions for years so you had like yeah uh say donald pleasance in center of the picture and that's all you had so um you sent the other day a a gift that it's the, the the moment that um, Michael Myers kind of emerges from the door frame. Yes. His face, the yes. white just appears. And I wanted to talk about that. When you when you sent it the other day, I was like, oh, that's just an amazing shot. But I'm not sure in the pan pan and scan. You don't get any of it. You would see that. No, you don't get and any of it. That's I mean, and he could easily have gone for a jump scare there. But oh, he doesn't. He has that kind of creeping dread where you see something, you're not sure you see it at first, and then the white of the mask just starts to emerge yeah. in the door frame from the darkness. It's just, it, it's, you watch it and it's kind of scary, but obviously I've seen it a ton of times and you actually watch it and you just kind of go, that's beautiful. Yeah. It is my favorite. It's my favorite shot in the entire film. Yeah. I'd say it's right up there. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you know, obviously, do you know how Dean Cundy achieved that effect? Of coming out of the shadow. Yes. Um, I just assumed it was very dark. Basically, what he had was, um, and the, again, the joy of having, um, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a Halloween podcast if we didn't talk about the mask. Um, no. You know, you know, the, the fact that the chat is yep. it gets on there. Yeah. You know, yes, you know, I think because everybody talks about oh, it's a William Shatner mask. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole host of trivia around that. Um, But what the white mask gives is this blank canvas in which we can project lots and lots of things against it. But what Dean Cundy did, which is just so simple, but so effective, it's it's mind-blowing. He took a very, very small light and had it underneath. No, no, like you take a flashlight. Yep. Take the flashlight just under by the chin. And what he had was this tiny, tiny, tiny light that he had on a dimmer switch. And he just kept it, you know, kept everything else completely black and then just slowly brought the dimmer up. And then he just, and then obviously Nick Castle appears. That is so simple. It's genius. And it's just, like you say, it's, it is one of the great shots of the film, and it could have been a real... Nowadays, can you imagine it nowadays? If they'd filmed it nowadays, it would have been boom. Oh, you really would have... You know, oh, and everyone jumped. Yeah, the, yeah, the music great. would have gone... And then the cat would have jumped out first. Oh, yeah. And then... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how many cats do you... And I've, say, I've said this on pretty much every show. How many fucking cats do you know leap out of cupboards? No, I don't know any. I know a cat that will attack me, um, but <laughs> and she kind of leaps out from behind doors, which is why I put her out before this. Yeah, but, um, I, yeah she doesn't tend. To... Actually, we do let her in the cupboard. At the... No, <laughs> well, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yes, there is a cat that would leap out of a cupboard. And it's mine. <laughs> but at that point, you think, "Oh my god, somebody's in the house." 
not usually. No. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's usually my son's upstairs making a complete mess. So it's it's not exactly scary. It's not really jumps. <laughs> <laughs> but that 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 scene is just i mean it is just mind blowing yeah and it, the physicality of castle there is 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 so impressive yeah and it makes it all the sadder in some ways this is in in a jokey way that uh, dean cundy went on to photograph one of the most recent films he did was scooby doo attack of the lake monster um Ouch. yeah yeah cuz he did you know he went on to do jurassic park and so yeah. on so I mean, he's a phenomenal Back to the Future. Yeah, yeah, and this, yeah, a wealth of really, really huge films. Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry, that's that's kind of disparaging him a bit. To be fair, he's, but hey, we've all got to eat. That's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, we've all got to eat. But I mean, it's yeah. just. But and again, you talk about Argento. You can see Argento's influence on the, his little fingerprints in terms of the blue. You know, the use of the blues yep. Yep. Uh, throughout this. And again, you know. those final scenes because everything before this before towards the end of the film has been shot in widescreen but Mm. everything closes in yeah yeah and then eventually yeah and it gets more and more claustrophobic yeah yeah to to the point it gets so claustrophobic that she ends up in the in the cupboard in the in the wardrobe essentially yeah yeah um in the closet i guess they call it yes you know, it closes into that point where he's outside breaking in it's like the, the entire film starts wide and just slowly narrows yeah. into that point it's just yeah and and it's only when you're talking about it that you're like wow yeah i'd never even realized that before and you just and you can feel the tension in your stomach because you're kind of talking it through yeah remembering yeah. and it's um, that, you know it, it is that you know you get in those final moments because obviously you see you, you see the shape as the shape, because he is there and then he's gone. He's there and he's gone. Yeah. But there he is in, you know, in that final moment where no matter what she does, he keeps coming. And you combine that with that music, that, you know, that 4-4, four, four, the 5-4 the uh, beat, that met, you know, that insistent beat. Yeah. Or, or that drone. And he just keeps coming. And he keeps and, and yeah, and she thinks she kills him, and Tommy comes out, and she's like, "I killed him." He's like, "You can't kill the boogeyman." Yeah, and he was like, "Oh man." <laughs> yeah, you it's know, just and yeah. that scene where he and, and it's been you know you think about it, people probably watching it for the first time don't realize in the scene where he sits up and turns his head. You know that has been imitated so many times. Yeah, that that kind of that moment where you think they're dead and they just yeah, and it's done in complete silence as yes. well. There's no kind of once again, there's no kind of dun moment. Yeah, it's just he sits up and it's all the scarier for it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's um, but going back to the the where we were talking about the cat jumping out and the and the tropes. Yes, and it's quite interesting because I mean Halloween did. Well, essentially created a load of these these tropes, which oh, yeah. is kind of un- unbeknown to John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Yeah, um, because it, it be- you know it became that kind of um, high watermark for the uh, quote unquote slasher. Yeah, um, and it, yeah, it, it operates on a on a higher level. Um, but then I, then I was thinking about it after. So then you've got like a what filmmakers did after. I think is is they tried to remake. Halloween so they they picked up on all these moments yeah they adopted you know like the beats of the film and they're like okay right okay sex means death so well that works we'll have that and then only the kind of bookish virginial girl lives okay yeah. we'll 
do that. Oh, well, let's let's have a mask and so on and so forth. And that's not to kind of disparage Friday the Thirteenth or My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, um, and, I mean, and yeah, the, sorry, go on. Yeah, you know, Sean Cunningham openly admits how you know Friday the Thirteenth is a cash in on Halloween. Yeah, and yet it went a different route because it went from that kind of the mother. And the point yeah. of view style, and it kind of owes more to Peeping Tom, really. Yes, you know? yes. And, and I, you know, apart from the opening scene, obviously, there's the, the POV in, in Halloween that we all know about. Yeah. But I think I I was thinking actually, I I think it owes more to Peeping Tom. It is a it is a cash in, and as much as Halloween's really successful, let's make another version of that. But I think I think that's another film that's uh, has a little bit more going on, and I think it's yeah. been kind of unfairly maligned, even though the sequels to Friday the 13th were <laughs> debatably better to a certain point. I mean, I'm not talking about Jason X or uh, oh. Jason Takes Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> or Jason Takes Manhattan, a.k.a. Jason Goes Boat In. Yeah. Because yeah. he never Jason, leaves the boat for, you know, yeah, for yeah, budgetary yeah. reasons. Yeah. Jason pops into New York, right? At the end. <laughs> He's got 20 minutes to kill. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, and I just I, I find that kind of thing interesting because um, it's easy. It's really easy to say, okay, yeah, Halloween was the great, and everything else that came after paled in comparison. But I think the likes of My Bloody Valentine, a brilliant film. Oh yeah, My Bloody Valentine is great. I absolutely love. You know, my other, one of my other personal favourites is The Burning. Yeah, I yeah, think The I'll... Burning. You know, and again, that only rewatching that recently, um, you realise it's quite a slow film. Yeah, yeah, it does because he, he after the um, after the burning, yes. he, uh, he when he he goes to hospital and then he's in New York and it all gets a bit kind of maniac driller killer like yes. and a bit kind of grimy. Yeah. It's a while before he actually gets to the um, the camp. Yeah, and then yeah, and and you see a bunch of people who eventually became very famous like yes. Jason Alexander and yes. uh, Holly Hunter yeah. <laughs> who never talks about the film now, although she didn't really speak in it. So no, no. I mean, the other, the other one I really, really enjoyed and I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed it was the mutilator. Yeah. I, uh, last summer I went to, um, in London, they, they had, um, Arrow video did a 80 slasher all nighter. Yeah. And they started with the burning, uh, the burning, uh, blood rage, the mutilator, the wow. slayer, and madman. Not in that order, but yeah, the mutilator. I've got yeah, I have all of those on Blu-ray. Yeah. I do like the mutilator. It's a little bit mean spirited in certain parts. I think you probably <laughs> know the part I mean. Yes, um, but it's actually kind of, you know, like the full break, the song at the yeah. beginning. It's, yeah, yeah. It's almost it, like sort of it, it does sound a bit like Billy Joel does the slash and movie yeah. soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I am a fan of that. And yeah, it's it's hard not to like. They're all kind of they've got some charm that that thirty year between then and now has kind of given them. They kind of uh Yeah, you know, they, yeah. They've grown, they've grown up well. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean it's sort of that, you know, and I think uh, I when you sort of when you watch that when you first see them and you see them on VHS and they are grimy and gritty, and it just adds to like the sleazy, the sleaziness of oh, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then when you see them all cleaned up on Blu-ray, you can actually yeah. see that the, you know the, there is some genuine artistry and there's yeah. some genuinely good filmmaking behind yeah, some of these and, films. And the Mutilator in particular, because that was terrible, and it's still pretty dark now, even with the, the Arrows cleanup. Yeah, because uh, it's not a well lit film. There's the well, scenes no, of I think it's the with, a, with one of the you know, yeah. a black and decker torch. 
yeah, you're still kind of looking there and going, yeah, this I can sort of see what's going on there. <laughs> um, yeah, not not well lit films at all. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I, Arrow do these these amazing restorations of of, yeah. of Jellos, and um, this isn't. I'm not. I don't work for Arrow, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm happy to take free films. Yes. Um, um, yeah, they they do amazing restorations of Jellos and and um, and slashes and so on and so forth. So I'm glad that some of these companies, 88 Films and whatnot, are, are doing that. 88 now. So Films are doing some great work at the minute. Some yeah, great work. Yeah, and I'm glad they are because it, it allows us to actually see them as they were originally intended. Yes. And these kind of – and, yeah, it's not – the grimy ones are fun, and I know people who love to watch them on VHS because they like that kind of – the gritty look and really grainy. Yeah, and you can't yeah, yeah. But I'm a little bit of a purist. I want to see it how it's supposed to look, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh, completely, completely. And, you know, I've got um, – oh, I can't remember the name – Early '90s releases of you know the sort of the ground greenhouse films. Yeah. Oh, what are they called with the um, you know they had the skull. Oh, what were they called? Ah. The, the the company that did them. Yes. The, the, in the black boxes. Yes. The black VHS box. Oh, yeah, I know the one you mean. I know the one you mean. I can't remember what they're called. No, no, I've got the you know I've got quite a few of them on DVD. Yeah. And yeah. actually, the transfers are, are essentially just straight rip rips from oh, yeah. from the VHS. Yeah. And you know, and that does add this sort of grimy feel to it. But it's when you get it on Blu-ray and you really see the quality on this. And actually, yep. I've got the the version I've got of Halloween. I've got obviously, you know, because there are I think there's about three million different copies <laughs> of, of versions of yeah. Halloween out there. Yeah. Um, and Anchor Bay are really sort of uh, squeezing every pound they can get out of this. I think Halloween fans keep them in business. To be honest, the, the amount yeah. I, I've bought the the twentieth anniversary, the twenty fifth, the tw- the third. I've got yeah. the thirty fifth fifth anniversary. There's got to be a fortieth anniversary. Oh god, yeah, they'll get, and and we'll buy it. Yeah, it's the same with Bla- you know Blade Runner. I think I've got Blade. The only version I don't think I have at the moment of Blade Runner is Laserdisc and Betamax. You know there is yeah. you know, and I'm sure. I'm I was sure tempted by Laserdisc back in the day, but I thought Whoa. a friend of mine um, has a Laserdisc, um, and he's become somewhat obsessed with it. And you can see why. The only thing that stops me is the fact I've got to get up and turn it over. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I like the idea of, of having a record player. I like the kind of, you know, the needle hitting the groove. Yeah, and all that. I think, yeah. But then I've got to turn it over. You know? Yeah, I mean, I've and got I can't a... jump up and down. No, no, yeah. Well, that's the one thing that I've got. Um, my wife bought me the coloured vinyl of Zombie Flesh Eaters, the score, because oh, right, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm a big Fabio Frizzy fan. I okay. love Fabio Frizzi. I think he's just just absolutely bonkers. He's just brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly. He's just brilliantly silly. Um, but at, there's that there's a part of me that sort of I've played it once on Christmas Day, and I was like, I don't want to move. If I move <laughs> or breathe in the wrong direction, something might happen. And Christmas Day is the perfect day to play it as well. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, you know, nothing says Christmas like Fulci. Absolutely, yeah. Nothing yeah. since Christmas like Fulci and having your eyes gouged. Out. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which, in some, for some people, you know, that could, that is a that is a true metaphor for Christmas. Absolutely, <laughs> I'm sure it is. Somewhere. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we digress. Um, yes, we have. Yes, Halloween. Now, here's the other thing as well, and it's only recently that I've noticed there are three glaring goofs. Yes, in the film. I've noticed a couple of them. I'll see if they're the same. Go on. So the the one, of course, is palm trees. Yep. Because, of course, this is set in Haddonfield in Illinois. 
Now, there is no Haddonfield in Illinois at all. It was, it's a made-up place, and they shot it in California. Yep. California obviously has lots of palm trees. Yep. And uh, when they needed leaves, they just literally they painted leaves and had a couple of bin bags full of it and just threw them Yeah, out. yeah, you can see them dumped around. Yeah, it's South Pasadena, I think. Yes, yes. California, yeah. yeah. And they, do you know what, though? The thing is, it, it is a... It is a not really a, a goof in so much as it, they had to do that because that's where they needed to film it, so on and so forth. Um, it doesn't distract me, though. No, no, it doesn't. Not at all. Not at all. Now, the other one, which goes back to John put the fag out, <laughs> is the scene where Annie sort of says, oh, look, he's behind, oh, this guy here, he's behind the bush, he wants to talk to you. Right, yep. And as Jamie Lee Curtis walks forward gets closer yes. to it you can yes. actually yep. see John Carpenter's cigarette smoke come across the screen yes <laughs> and apparently as well as she walks forward and I watched this on YouTube and I couldn't see it that clearly to the right as um, Jamie Lee Curtis is walking towards the camera to the right there's yep. like a bush and the tree and yes. there's a, a cameraman or someone basically what the... happens is as they're walking away and it's only now because we, you know, yes, we're singing the praises of widescreen. Yeah, this is the problem, isn't this it? Is the restorations where, and everything. Yes. If you look in the top right-hand corner, there's clearly it's one of the grips or one of the you know the technical crew who just pops their head up and That's then right. realizes, shit, yeah. he's filming. Yeah. If I stand still, nobody will see me. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's there's another one which is one you might come to is um where the girl the the young girl whose name escapes me um who annie brackett's supposed to be looking after is watching yes. tv and a shadow comes up behind her yes of her head but and that's fine because it happens obviously you know low budget and all of that but then he does it again yeah like, <laughs> you've been caught stop stop um and i think the camera also in the graveyard yes uh, yeah it hits the tree yeah <laughs> i think the tree bumps yeah no i like that yeah me too i do like that it's like in in all of kubrick's films somewhere there is an intentional mistake and there should be in every film. Yeah, the, and Kubrick did it on purpose to remind the audience that they are watching a film. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, you know, and obviously everybody, you know, the most famous one is the helicopter in The Shining. Oh yeah, the helicopter uh, the, of, the, of the opening shot that the helicopter is is in shot. You know. Yeah, I've never even thought about that before. But throughout all of it, Kubrick's film, there is one little. There's always something very, very tiny. Just to yeah, remind see, the yeah I hadn't I haven't seen The Shining for a long time, um, and it hadn't occurred to me. Of course, what an idiot! <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, I've recently gone back and started rereading Stephen King from the very beginning, and I just recently in chronological yeah, order. in chronological order. Okay. I'm now entering his cocaine years. It's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the quality dips. Yeah, yes. Or go, he goes a little bit off piece. Yeah, he just goes a little bit sideways. It's quite so interesting. What's that? Which film, which uh, book are you on at the moment? I'm on uh, Skeleton Crew at the minute. Oh, okay. So, right. um, you know, he's, he's, he's clearly dipping his toe in there. Because <laughs> I tell you what, though, obviously, including Skeleton Crew is The Mist, is the short story of The Mist. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, his novellas are brilliant. I love it. They're probably my favourite thing. Like uh, Different Seasons. Yes. That has um, The Body, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption yes. and Apt Pupil and The Breathing Method, which I don't think was made into a film. No. Love those. No. Sorry. Yeah. But what we're saying about books, um, we were aware that there was a novelization of Halloween. Yes, I've never seen or read it, but I, yeah, I, I am aware of that. It, it, in the novelization, they do give um, a lot more backstory about Michael. Mm. Uh, and, however, have you seen the cost? Yeah, that, uh, that would be my. I wonder how much that is to buy because it's bound to have been out of print for the best part of thirty or maybe getting on for forty years. Well, and, yeah, it's got on to be eBay, a- it goes from sixty-five quid. To about two hundred pound. Yikes! On Amazon, it goes from one hundred and twenty-five pound <laughs> to fifteen hundred pound. Bloody hell! So <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. I've put one. I've put a copy in my wish list, <laughs> just to, so I can keep tra- you know keeping track of who's watching it. You know, like yeah. a little look at it, if you know if my wife yeah. is ever considered. Just so I can hear her going, how much? Yeah, I will never own that book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't even got one of those, you know, like where you've got the arrow to look inside so you can at least read the opening chapter. It no. won't even have that on Amazon. No, I no. See. I think you can buy on eBay um, a, nine, a 9.99 PDF version of the book. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, I'd, be, oh, I'd be sort of tempted to do that, sort yeah. of. Now, yeah. I mean, we've covered an incredible amount um so where in terms of the pantheon of slasher movies because you're mm. right in the midst, midst of it all mm. where do you think this holds up in terms of where it sits whether it's the best or yes it, it's um it, it it's a it's a slasher film I'm not going to say it's not, but it's not a slasher in the in the purest sense of the word. The yeah. body count is reasonable. It's five, I think. Um, it's not particularly bloody, so it's not that kind of what 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 followed next. You know, the, the burning's a prime example. Oh yeah, yeah, exceptionally bloody. Um, it's um, it's interesting actually because it's it's one of those films that like the slasher it's it, it you can intellectualize it if you like yes but it's kind of i think um there's a really good book a devil's advocate do the horror books yes. where they talk about different films yes. and, uh, and it says it's instinctive rather than intellectual i think that's why it works so well because it's you can look at it on a really basic level as a horror movie yes or you look at it from a more scholarly perspective if you want and seek and deduce themes and so on and so forth um I think it's one of those films that stands up to repeat viewings because despite its sim- simplicity, um, you, for example, the scene where um, Laurie's watching the kids across the road and kind of you can see she's kind of considering her youth and you, you can really read into it if you want yes. to, which yes. you can't do with some of the other slashers, to be fair. <laughs> as much as I love the burning, it's and it's great for repeat viewing and it's body count and it's like, yeah, beers and yes. this, you know, yes. it's not it's not that sort of film. So I would say that Halloween is it's weird because I, I kind of don't want to put it in the slasher pantheon, which I'm gonna get hated for, but it is. It's yeah. the best. It's I think best. it kind of it, it's sort of <laughs> I think I think the burning 
is very much a slasher. Yeah. Uh, the Prowler is very much a slasher. Yeah. The Mutilator is, um, you know, um, uh, you know, we, we, we can go on forever listing, you know, I think what was it was, I think it's over 200 slashers made in, in the 80s alone. Mm, mm. You know, and they very much follow the, the boobs and butchery sort of format, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Um, whereas, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to jump right in. I don't you know if I'm going to get grief, you know, but it's my humble opinion. It's only my opinion. I think Halloween as a film transcends the slasher genre. It crosses like over. And I think when you look at sort of modern, you know, the people often sort of say that Halloween created, you know, really changed horror and created the idea of modern horror. And I think in some ways I agree with that on some level, but not on all levels. But I think Jaws, Halloween, The Exorcist and Poltergeist are are responsible for what we kind of view as modern horror because it puts all of the elements that we recognise today in in a format that is now the modern format for horror films. Yeah. And, I, you know, when I say that Halloween isn't a slasher, in many ways, it, it's just, it's the benchmark. It's, um, it, it creates this, I mean, I, if you look at slashers from a, a slightly different angle, they're kind of puritanical. Um, yes. Michael yeah. Myers is quite a puritanical figure or like, you know, like what, what's been said is he's, he's a moral guardian and, you know, yes. punishing those who transgress, yes. you know, sex or, you know, smoking you, pot. Or, PJ Souls, like, you bared your breasts. I'm now going to strangle you with a phone yeah, cord. Yeah, yeah. Or you're not, your babysitting skills leave a lot to be desired. So I'm going to put you in the cupboard, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it is, a, it is a slasher, just so I don't get my ass handed to me on Twitter. It is a slasher. <laughs> but it's, it, it, yeah, I agree with you. It, it transcends those. It showed, it demonstrated that in its simplicity, it could still be extremely terrifying. And it showed you what horror could be yes. without, without monsters. Like yes. it, it brought horror into the home if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than, you know, it wasn't about vampires and werewolves and fantastical figures. It was about uh, a young man who came home. (laughs) Yes. That is a brilliant summation. That is a wonderful, wonderful summation. You know, I've got a a slightly better one, actually. Um, Kim Newman, you know, the, yes, um, yes. Says, uh, he says it's only messages. Boom. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that does. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, that, that is. You know, I don't think. Luckily, I don't think Kim Newman gets paid by the word, does he? No, no. no. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd need to get another job. But it's um. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's that's um. There there is another quote actually. I just want to read very quickly no. to him about Halloween, and I think this is really true. He says it's um. It seems to be set in a conventional, realistic small town, but actually takes place in a poetic fantasy world somewhere between the bee picture and the fairy tale where different natural lords obtain. And I'm like, yeah, I get that because, because at the end he gets shot six times. Yes. He falls out of a window, first floor window. He lands on his back essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not, 
it's not real. But at the same time, it is, it's so real because he's not a fire-breathing monster or he doesn't have wings or fangs or no, anything like no, that. No, no, no. He's just a man in a mask in a boiler suit with a knife and he's coming after you. And there's yeah. nothing more terrifying than that. Well, that's the thing. And he never runs. He never runs. He's he like, never yeah. runs. Yeah. And, you know, you can see how he, uh, how that kind of character inspired future horrors. It follows, prime example. Yes. Never run in that, but they always eventually get to you. Yes. Um, and that's, that's, to me, scarier. That's why um, uh, uh, Zombies, so the Dawn of the Dead remake, the 2004 yes. one, really yeah. enjoyed that. Really visceral, one of the great opening scenes. Oh, and God, yes. Run and they're terrifying. But there's something more terrifying about this kind of relentlessness of yeah. that. Yeah. Well, it's that, you know, the thing with this, you know, with, with, with the, with the slow shuffling Romero zombie yeah. is if there's one or two of them, you can get, you think, oh, yeah, it's fine, I can just jing past them. But then there's one or two of them show up, and then three or four of them show up, and then five or six of them show up. And then they're everywhere. And yeah. suddenly, you're trapped. Mm. You're not going anywhere. And they just sort of... And, and, and it's that sort of... Again, it's the relentlessness of it. And it's the relentlessness of yeah. the shape. Yeah. You know, I used that. to find that really terrifying in zombie films. I'm, you know, they're, they're kind of everywhere. And I'm, I've watched so many that yeah. I'm desensitised to it now. But that used to be the most terrifying aspect. Is that I used to be... It's almost depressing... Yes, they're so relentless. It never ends. Yeah. They just keep coming and they keep coming, and it's well, horrible. Dawn of the Dead used to terrify me as a child. Absolutely mm. terrify me, and that sort of and the image of you know, the Hari Krishna. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and, you know, yeah, as a, yeah. as a ridiculous as an image is of a Hari Krishna zombie. Yeah, but pushed up against the glass with a swarm of others. That in itself. Oh, man. It's just, it's yeah. horrible. Yeah. And they don't And stop. when they're all kind of pouring at someone's stomach and you know what's going to happen next. Yes. Ah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. But it is the relentlessness of, of Michael, which I think is just an incredible, yeah. incredible thing. And, you know, you combine that with that incredible score. Mm-hmm. Um, you, incredi- you know, with Dean Cundy's, inc- you know, sublime cinematography. It yep. is, you know, it, it, it is a perfect storm. Mm-hmm. It is a and, and, perfect and even storm. And even the script, the dialogue isn't, you know, you're not kind of, it's not clunky. And I think no. Deborah Hill should take a lot of credit for that because she could have created those, the, the, the female, the teenage characters and been kind of like, this is my version of them. But it's really quite authentic. Whether it's authentic for 1978, I don't know. But it's just, it's the kind of conversations that, teenagers have it comes right, across as ne- real yes i've never been a teenage girl but i was for no. about 20 minutes once it was a very bizarre moment i mean i was fine after but you know <laughs> yeah then you took pills and had injections yes and you're fine you're yes fine. just i, I want to ask you one quick question just about that so bearing in mind that the opening scene of halloween apart from the fact that the boyfriend seems to have sex in 45 seconds and then get out really quick yeah always found bizarre what what are the great opening scenes in horror for you um oh the great opening scenes i mean one of my all-time favorite is the is is it within the remake of uh dawn of the dead um i love the opening of an american werewolf in london i've got that one too 
Um, I think that is an absolutely phenomenal... uh, And it's long as well. Yes. It's a 20-minute sequence, and it's utterly terrifying. Yes. And there is something about that moment, because obviously, you know, I don't live too far away from where all that was shot, so it's very, Mm. very... um, It's very, very real. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and there's something about seeing those... um, those naive characters walking uh, into, you know, into certain death, into certain, and you just know the second that they're there. Yeah, and they face hostility the entire time they're there from the elements, from the, from the pub, and then obviously from the the wars where it gets stuck. It's just, yeah, it's exceptional. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're, they're two that I've got. I just wanted to see how close you were. So I've got one, two, three, four, five. Just they were off the top of my head, not including Halloween. Yeah. So you I said mean, American Wolf in London, Dawn of the Dead. You know, Halloween, of course, that opening. You Halloween. Know, the, yeah, yep. that is there. The other one I really, really love is Day of the Dead. Okay, I don't have that, but yes, I know what you mean. Seeing yep. the alligator. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that, the, you know, again, you know, the one thing that it, it's very, very clever because obviously – Alligators and crocodiles, you know, they have been, you know, they're essentially dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, they are dinosaurs. And, you know, that's, you know, they've excited, you know, they, they survived the KT uh, extinction. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know yeah. they're still there. Uh, yeah. I think Carrie's got to be in there. Yeah. Carrie is a great, um, is a great one. Black Sunday. Yes, Mario, I, I, I love I love Mario Bava. I think Bava yeah, is, is a great, 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 great See, I director. put that and I was thinking, well, I wonder if you'll pick up on Black Sunday or not. And I just, earlier on, I was thinking, I was looking through my Blu-rays and thinking, great openings. And I got to Black Sunday and I was like, oh, fantastic. Barbara Steele with the mask over her yeah. face and the hammer that's comes just, in. And it's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's one of those moments where you just think, oh, my God. Yeah. Did you it, really just, you know, and you think about the time of when he was shot. Yeah, yeah, nineteen sixty. So it's whoa, this yeah. I shouldn't be seeing this. And there's that stream because it's in black and white. You don't know if it's blood or if it's tears. Yes, the streams down because yes. you imagine it's probably blood, but it could quite easily be tears from the pain. And it's just, oh, it's, it's really, yeah, it's yeah. a terrifying <clears throat> scene. I also Suspiria. had Suspiria. Yeah, and I mean, I love Goblin. I love that Goblin soundtrack. <sighs> Yeah, I always attribute that to the the Halloween soundtrack. There's definitely some some synergy between those two, between the um, the Goblin that that, that kind of fe- which is, the Goblin Suspiria is my theme tune on my phone. So you've yes. got Halloween, I've, I've got uh, the Suspiria, yes, uh, the theme. But there, I think there's yeah, there's definitely some some link between the two there between yeah. uh, John Hopkins's. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd also added uh, Scream, the first Scream. Yes. Fantasy, and, of course, Jaws. Oh, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I go in terms of openings, I do go between the opening of Night of the Living Dead because, you know, my, my sort of... Oh, of course, yeah. My all-time favourite film is The Exorcist. Yeah. I think it is, you know, for me, it is the perfect film. Um, but the opening of between... Night of the Living Dead and Jaws. I don't think you can get much you, you get much better of, a, of an opening. Yeah, I love film. that. Yeah, because Night of the Living Dead, it's 
you don't see it coming. It's just the guy wandering across the graveyard and the yeah. brother laughing. They're coming for you, Barbara, and all They're of that. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Yeah, yeah. And we've been, I've, yeah, I've laughed with my mates about that for years. That that kind of every time somebody kind of stumbles, yeah, yeah. come out of a pub and someone's stumbling along the street. Um, but and then it just, yeah, the attack is so kind of unwarranted and unexpected. Yeah, it's yeah, and real. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he's not a monster either. He's just a guy. Yeah, it's just a it's just a dead bloke. Yeah, uh, you know that that is a great great scene. You know, a yeah. great 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 scene. But no, there is some. I remember watching Jaws and being very very young and thinking this is really really frightening. Yeah, and being and there's something quite primal about yeah. that. It's the um, unseen as well. Yes. You don't, you, I mean, I say not, Night of the Living Dead, you don't see the guy, you don't see that happening, but you see the guy coming. Yes. You don't see the shark coming. No. Apart from maybe, you know, you get point of view shots and stuff like that, but not in that scene, you don't see it coming. No. And it completely, dis- I think of all films I've ever seen, it's the one that completely destroys people in terms of how they react when they're faced with a body of water for the yeah, rest of oh, their yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, Even uh, a swimming pool. Yeah. You're, you, you're kind you, of like... You dip your toe I've in seen. and suddenly you think, who's playing that cello? Yeah, yeah. You get, you get in a swimming pool, you think, hang on, I've seen um, I've seen that uh, The Spy Who Loved Me with the shark that comes out. I think it's The Spy Who Loved Me. Yes. And like, yeah. yeah, what if somebody just presses a button and there's a tiger? You know, you just, you just never enter a body of water again <laughs> in the same way. So we've digressed again. Yes. I just, I, yeah. Yeah, you did. You you picked up on out of those that I'd written down. You picked up on four of the five that I'd written. So yeah. Yeah. See, that's great yeah. minds. Great Absolutely. minds. Absolutely, yeah. Especially black. Sunday. I was really oh, pleased God. you picked. Them. It's just there is something about about Black Sunday that that just. I remember I you know I re, I covered it very very briefly on the you know on the work you watched and I sort of I remember watching it. It's the perfect Sunday film. Mm. It's the perfect Sunday film where it's it's all a bit rainy and it's a bit cold and it's yeah. you know and it's just so well shot. Yeah, and for a black and white film, it's stunning. And that's all you know. Mario Bava yeah. was the cinematographer originally, so you can kind of see you know. And you, then you watch Blood. You, you could watch that and then watch Blood and Black Lace, which is like yes. where he really uses color. And you're just the beauty of both the the contrast between black and white and the color is just yeah they're a really good yes uh, oh, that's completely. a double bill for the ages that one yeah yeah completely completely great 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 and yeah. Barbara Steele is amazing isn't it yeah oh god yeah absolutely amazing yeah. amazing yeah now here we go here is the moment mm-hmm. and I know people sort of go oh do you really need to score things but you know nah, where would it. we where would we come in on Halloween John Carpenter's Halloween from 1978. One being the lowest, ten being the highest. Where would you come in, sir? I will give it, because it does have flaws and it, it needs to have flaws, um, I'm going to give it a 9.5. Nothing ever, nothing is perfect. So that's as good as it gets. <laughs> I'm sorry what? if yeah. that's going to offend someone. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, uh, I know the. I mean, I think Gregor Mortis uh, from the Land of the Creeps podcast, um, his... Um, Halloween is his all-time favourite, and I think yep. he would score a twenty out of ten if he could. Um, <laughs> and he, you know, but for me, it is a nine point five as well. Yeah. Um, there are, I think, it is, you know, it is a brilliantly, beautifully technical film. It is how you can make a, take a simple idea and execute it almost perfectly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it's just it's as technical as it is simple as well. Yes. That's that's a that's an interesting dichotomy in itself. Is that it's such a simple film and it's so technical, but you can watch it from a technical perspective. You can watch it just from this really simple story of the babysitter murders, as it was originally called. Yes, and um, and I'm completely fine with that. And I think yeah, it's almost perfect. And somebody's going to kill me on Twitter for that. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, Jay, it has been an absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Having you on the show, and you've got an open invitation to come back at any thank time, you, sir. sir. Any time at all. I'd, uh, I'd love to. And thank you for um, popping my cherry so gently. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody's ever said that on here. And that's saying something, <laughs> because we've said some shit in here. <laughs> <laughs> so Love before stuff. we go please remind yep. our listeners where they can find you okay i am i'm on facebook and all of that other stuff but the best place to find me is on twitter at j prowse j-a-e-p-r-o-w-s-e um feel free to stop by and tell me i'm wrong well sir it has been an absolute pleasure and i tell you something we're definitely going to be doing a jaws we're definitely going to do a jaws um, episode all over that. I can't wait. Sir, thank you very much for being on. Thank you very much. Sir. Take Cheers. care, man. Speak thank to you soon. Take care. Ta-da. Bye. Okay, up next, we have got our news segment. Shit the bed. Okay, up first for us, we have got the official nod from a certain Mr. Rob Zombie that Three From Hell is going to be the sequel to The Devil's Reject, which was released in 2005. That had its first day of shooting on the 13th of March. Um, So we get to see the Firefly family return. Really difficult to say that one. (laughs) So I'm really, really excited to see where they go with that. And Austin Stoker uh, has joined the cast. Some of you uh, will remember him from, of course, John Carpenter's amazing assault on Precinct 13. No release date yet, but keep your eye uh, out for that. And as soon as I have any more information on that, I'll make sure that you guys get it. Now, next up is Netflix have uh, officially released a trailer and some key art from uh, Lost in Space, their new uh, TV series. And that's going to be getting a global release on April the 13th. So I'm quite excited by that. I really, really enjoy the TV series. Uh, Not so much the film with Matt LeBlanc. I think it had uh, potential, but got kind uh, kind of wasted. But I'm really, really hopeful for this, and the trailer looks really, really good. Now, the other piece of news that I've got is Shout Factory have purchased the Roger Corman Film Library, which, again, I'm a big fan of Roger Corman. He's got some great, great, great films. But Shout Factory have uh, got their hands on this one. So I think they're going to be, from what I've read so far, they may be obviously doing uh, Blu-ray and DVD releases, but also on their online platform. So we're going to get to see things like Rock and Roll High School, my personal favourite, Battle Beyond the Stars, Piranha, Galaxy of Terror, Blood Fist, Black Scorpion, Eat My Dust, of course, Humanoids from the Deep People, and Slumber Party Massacre. They are all going to be coming out under the Shout Factory label. So that's very, very exciting. Uh, 
Anything else that crops up, I will make sure that uh, on our next segment, anything that takes our eye, we'll be bringing you the news. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Shit the Bed. <laughs> okay. Up next, we have got What the Wookiee Watched. And kicking us off is a little movie from Slice Stallone. Let's check out the trailer. Society is breeding a new kind of criminal. It's also breeding a new kind of cop. Meet Cobra. He does the job nobody wants. Did you use unnecessary deadly force? I used everything I had. Do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little one. You think you would recognize me if you saw him again? The tall one? Yeah. The one who wants to kill you. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. And if I find him? Do what you do best. strong arm of the law. Okay. <laughs> I love that trailer. Um, that, of course, was Cobra, starring Sylvester Stallone from 1986. And it stars, uh, like I said, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Bridget Nielsen, Rennie Santini, Andrew Robinson, uh, Brian Thompson, uh, Lee Galligan, uh, Art Lafleur, and Marco Rodriguez. I love this film. It's it's such an eighties it's such an eighties film. Um, it was directed by George P. Cosmastus, and it was based on the screenplay by Sylvester Stallone, based on the novel Fair Game by Paul Goslin. Now, some of you might be asking, hang on a second, this is not horror, this is not sci-fi. Well, actually, I think this, this it does have slasher elements to it and um i think some of the you know the night stalker character the night slasher character sorry played by brian thompson is a great great serial psycho um and the some of the 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 murders committed by the night slasher and his gang are so grisly and you know i remember watching this the first, as a kid in 1986 and now i was way too young to be watching this um but they are, they, you know, they have real horror elements to it, and I mean, of course, this does sort of dissolve quite quickly into a um, an a straight up action movie. Um, and I mean, what's interesting about this? They took out of it about thirty to forty minutes of extra footage, um, because otherwise they would have ended up with an X rated. Um, <laughs> they would have ended up with an X rating on this movie. Um, People will also remember that this film had, you know, the night slasher, the, the knife that he used uh, is quite memorable. Um, also, this film had a body. The body count in this film is 52. 41 of those are killed by Cobra himself. So Sylvester Stallone in this movie as Cobra 
kills 41 of the 50 people who were murdered in it. I really enjoy this film. It's really, really silly. Of course, this, um, you know, falls into the sort of uh, the Golden Globus Warner Brothers era. Uh, so you've got uh, all of those sort of, you know, it's got that real high camp feel to it and everybody playing it incredibly straight. Um, I really, really enjoy this film. I, if you haven't seen it, get out there and watch it because it's it's worth it. Um, you can pick it up in a box set, actually, of different Sylvester Stallone movies on Blu-ray for about nine ninety nine. Uh, so you know, and I think you get a good couple in there. I think you get like Demolition Man is in there, Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash people is brilliant. Get out there and watch it. Um, it's got horror horror elements in it. It's got quite a bit of gore. Um, I really really like this film, um, and it's a seven out of ten for me. Okay, up next we have got the Dolph Lundgren movie from 2016, Don't Kill It. Let's check out the trailer. Your father's home early. Hey there, how'd it go? This is the latest killing in a town that has had three triple homicides in the last week alone. Oh, I'll be damned. I'm looking for Chief Dunham. It's Agent Pierce. Tell me Agent Pierce is really necessary. Bringing in the bureau. You have had three triple homicides in the past week, is that correct? He killed him and then he killed his own kid? Doesn't make any sense. They are unrelated, right? Well, they might be the tiniest bit related. In what way would that be, Chief? Each one killed the last. Your town is in real danger. You want these murders to stop, you best listen. I'm a hunter. Demon hunter. You said this one is unique. How? So the way transfigured was by being killed. The moment you killed the thing, it became you. Then what are you going to do when you find him? Oh, I'll sit him down for a quiet little chat. To this town. The power of Christ! Come down here! Pretty sure that's from the exorcist. Oh, no, you're Rubber bullets. It likes you. It wants me to kill it. The stakes just got a whole lot higher. If the fire consumes your soul, and then Chickory Creek will literally be held up. Kind of a family business. Christmas must have been fun. Okay, that was the trailer for Don't Kill It from 2016. Don't Kill It was directed by Mike Mendez. It was written by Dan Burke and Robert Olsen. And of course, it stars Dolph Lundgren, Christina Klebe, Tony Bentley, 
and not the Tony Bentley. I think that's, that was Tony Bennett. Wasn't it? Tony Bennett was the singer. So it is Tony Bentley, excuse me. And James Chalk and Miles Dolak. Uh, I loved this film. Um, I really, really enjoyed this film. Um, I, I'm, I, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Dolph Lundgren anyway. Um, he hasn't always been in the greatest pieces, but actually um, his performance in this film is absolutely He's brilliant in it. He's really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. It's not going to win any Oscars. However, what this film has is an opening that is really intense. The opening for this is really, really intense. It is really, really gory. It absolutely grabs you from the very first instant. It does slow down a little bit in the middle. I will give it that. Um, But... The idea behind um, the demon that you can't kill it because if you kill it, it suddenly possesses the body of the person who killed it last. It's absolutely br- It's a really, really clever idea. It's well-executed uh, little B-movie. Dolph Lundgren gives a really good acting performance in this. He is... Um, you know, he's very laid back. He's very laconic. He's very sarcastic in it. It is absolutely brilliant it is a great great hour and 30 minutes to just chuck on switch your brain off and thoroughly enjoy it um like i said i really like this film and for me i'm gonna give don't kill it from 2016 starring dolph lundgren a 7 out of 10 go check it out it is worth it it's on netflix okay okay up next we have got nightmare city from 1980 or to give it its full title in Cubo Sala City Contaminata. <laughs> Let's check out the trailer. Top of the news this evening is speculation concerning the real facts behind the Department of Health announcement about a radioactive spill supposed to have occurred yesterday at the state nuclear plant. Information from an official source which reached our newsroom this afternoon stresses the seriousness of the situation. Mr. Miller, something very serious has happened at the airport. But until we conclude our investigation and take the necessary countermeasures, nothing is going to leak out. Nothing. individual and others like him have been subjected to strong doses of atomic radiation which increase their physical capacities beyond the norm. In short, it's a kind of a Superman. This is Channel 5 TV station. We're being attacked. For God's sakes, send somebody fast. God help us all. Oh, yes, we are back in Italian horror movie cinema splatter fantastico. Um, yes, I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm always a big fan of Italian horror. Um, and of course, Nightmare City was directed by the legendary Umberto Lindsay. Um, it stars Hugo Stiglitz, Laura Trotter, Maria Rosaria, uh, Francesco Rabel, Sonio Vivani. Uh, Eduardo Fajardo, Stefano Di Amiria, Hugo uh, Ugo Bologna, Saro Franchetti, uh, Manuel Zarzo, Tom Feleghi, 
Uh, and, you know, Mel Ferreira also pops up in this. Um, <laughs> this is a bonkers film. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, obviously, it, this is the result, uh, you know, these sort of, um, you can't quite call them zombies, but people end up uh, becoming these uh, radiation-contaminated uh, psychopaths with, who need to drink people's blood um, in order to keep themselves alive. And they end up with these horrible sort of burnt faces. Um, it's just a bonkers film. Um, you know, it, it's clear lots of the budget was spent on uh, some of the <laughs> some of the radiated sort of creatures' uh, faces, as opposed to you know people get shot and no blood appears. Um, you know, Hugo Stiglitz as the um, as the lead, uh, Dean Miller in this. <laughs> he, he kind of sort of wanders around looking sort of like some sort of sort of transient person who's just kind of landed a job and but still hasn't got a place to live so he's sort of dressed as a tramp most of the time it's an insane film it's got it, you know it, it's got a lot of ambition um it's it, it has moments of that are just bonkers particularly towards the end but i really really enjoy this if you were in a fan of Umberto Lindsay, of course, um, Umberto Lindsay is somebody who is famous um, for his sort of um, his cannibal movies. And uh, is this right up there with them? No, not quite. Um, it, it's a little bit sort of uh, it's a little bit sillier than, so say, for example, Cannibal Ferox uh, <laughs> and a lot tamer. But it has its moments, and in all, you know, as in all uh, Italian splatter movies like this, it does have its moments of uh, extreme gore. But like I said, I really, really like this film. It's silly. It's a it's it, it's totally irreverent. Um, if you get the chance to see this, I think it's on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it for. Uh, if you got the Amazon Prime Video app, you can watch it for nothing. There's a great Arrow release of this on Blu-ray, which I've got. Um, I love this film. Um, I toyed with this for a while. What I was going to give it a six about halfway through, but just because of the sheer madness that is the ending to this and the balls that they show to, to just throw in the nonsensical ending, I've given it a seven out of ten. Um, so <laughs> that, ladies and gentlemen, is it. Our time together has drawn to an end. Um, once again, I want to give a big, big, Big thank you to Jay. Uh, you can find him uh, on Twitter. Um, and he's a great, great guy. Um, I'm really, really pleased. And I can't wait to have him back on the show. Um, his Twitter handle is at Jay Prowse. And that's at, obviously, a little A circle thing. J-A-E-P-R-O-W-S-E. I'll put it in the notes and you'll find him at It Happened Again. You can also... I know that he's looking to get some stuff out on... Uh, our good man CJ's uh, blog on VHS Revival, so you can do some. Of, you can find some of his writing on there. This guy is crammed with horror knowledge, and I can't wait to get him back on. I think he's going to be coming back on for. We're definitely going to do a Jaws episode, so we might get him back on for Jaws. But I know we're definitely going to be coming back on for um, a Nightmare on Elm Street episode. So I'm really, really excited. As always, guys. I am really, really humbled. I am really, really grateful for all the interaction on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Please 
get yourselves over to the Facebook page, drop us a line, uh, find us on uh, Instagram under The Undead Wookie at 1980, and of course, at The Undead Wookie on Twitter. Please drop us a line, follow, tweet the show. If you're feeling really, 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 really generous, we would absolutely appreciate and love you forever. Big kisses. Mwah. Um, if you could leave us some five-star reviews on iTunes, that would be really helpful. Of course, get yourselves over to our SoundCloud page. You can see or you listen to all our back catalogue there as well as on uh, iTunes. Um, as always, I want to give a big shout out to my glamorously gothy gal pals. They'll be coming back on very, very soon. Where we're going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking about a certain film called Tucker and Dale versus Evil. And we are uh, always you can always we're always excited to have them on. But you can find them on Vitalize Radio every Friday evening on their Graveyard Shift uh, show. <laughs> um, you can also check out their Raven's Retreat uh, page. And, of course, get yourselves over to their Etsy page. Now, speaking of Etsy pages, guys, there is a fantastic Etsy page out there called Luna Blue for all of your magical and fae and fairy gifts and all those wonderfully handcrafted sort of witchy magical stuff, um, jewellery, those type of things. Get yourselves over to the Luna Blue page on Etsy. It's well worth it. Particularly, guys, if you're looking to spoil somebody special, there's some wonderful, wonderful things on there. Uh, of course, as always, I want to give a big shout out to... Jeff and Al over at Cadavercast. What a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant show over there. Father and son team, they are always, always worth a listen to. Um, <laughs> my man over at Pulp Culture. A big shout out to Gareth G. Morgan over at Slasher Trash. You can find them on uh, Twitter. Of course, Gidget Von LaRue, an angry man from uh, Retro Cinema. Uh, we're going to be at some point probably over in this during the summer uh, we're going to have Gidget back on and of course Paul Paul Hayden from Schlock Horror guys brilliant 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 uh, blog get yourselves over to him uh, okay and we want to say a big shout out to uh, Peter Nielsen who's going to be joining us again very very soon where we're going to be talking Shockwave the Vincent Price Nazi zombie mover movie can't even talk. It's been a long day, guys. Been a long day. <laughs> so we're going to have, you know, Peter Nielsen's going to be back on. Big shout out, of course, to his compadres over at uh, Retro Movie Geek. That's Joel and Daryl. Uh, of course, I want to say a big shout out to Dave Dr. Shock Becker over at Horror Movie Podcast and Jay of the Dead and Josh Legary over there. Um, and if I've missed anyone out, anyone at all, please drop me a line and say, hey, you missed me out. Give me a shout. I've got no problem doing that at all. Now, next up, we're going to be departing from horror and sci-fi, and I'm going to be joined by the mighty powerful Mr. Leighton Winston, and uh, we are going to be talking a certain Martin Scorsese movie called Goodfellas. And I know he's very, very excited to be doing this. So, of course, here at the Undead Wookiee, we will dip into other genres. And, uh, of course, this is a personal favourite of myself and uh, Mr. Winston. So we're going to be looking at that one. I'm very, very excited to have him on. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. So there is only one thing left to say. And in the immortal words of Count Dracula, good night out there, whatever you are.
This is Al from Cadavercast. You've been listening to the Undead Wookie. The back.